podcast one production. G'day, I'm Tim Harcourt and welcome to the Airport Economist. In this first series, I'll take you to the key markets of the world where you can do business and do it well. I'll guide you through the economics, politics and social history of each place and talk to an expert about the tricks and traps of doing business in each particular market. But first, strap yourself in because in this episode, we're off to India. Well, my first week in India, in Mumbai, was pretty good. Most people are a bit worried about going to India. They're worried about getting sick. They're worried about the poverty, about the chaos. But I had this most amazing first week in Mumbai. I uh, was there with the New South Wales Premier, Bob Carr, later the Foreign Minister's Trade Mission. And just by coincidence or excellent planning by his staff, we were there when there was a Test Cricket Series on between Australia and India. And uh, some of us were lucky enough to, to get tickets. It was an interesting time in Mumbai because Mumbai is very hot and humid and um, it was this sort of cricket game where the humidity and the tropical rain made the wicket unplayable and the cricket match, which goes for five days, was likely to be over before I could use my tickets on the Saturday. But luckily for me, the Indian hosts, being what they were, rescheduled all my meetings so I could go on a weekday. And in fact, many of them went with me. Now, I was very lucky because in that test match, I saw Sachin Tendulkar, probably the greatest cricketer of modern-day cricket and a complete icon in India. And I saw him make a fantastic innings of 50, which was quite remarkable given the conditions. And I saw how cricket literate and how enthusiastic the crowd were cheering him on, and I was there watching him on his home ground. Well, after the cricket in the afternoon, they arranged for me to interview Miss Universe on a Bollywood set. What a great place, Tendorka and the cricket in the morning and Bollywood in the afternoon. As well as Bollywood and the cricket, I did have some work to do. Penny Wensley, the High Commissioner to India from Australia, and Bob Carr were leading a trade mission and they wanted me, because the trade mission was late, to meet an old Indian gentleman and sort of keep him company while they uh, got their skates on and got there. And so I met this very nice man. I asked him what he did for a living and he said, oh, I just have a little computer company that I started with a loan from my father-in-law. But when the Premier and the High Commissioner arrived with the delegation, I realised that this really nice, softly spoken gentleman was actually Mr Murty, the head of Infosys, in effect the Bill Gates of India. And he's the father of the Indian IT sector. And Fortune magazine named him one of the 12 greatest entrepreneurs on the planet. He gave this fantastic presentation to the delegation about Infosys and the Indian high-tech sector, and not once did he let on that I hadn't recognised him or knew who he was. Well, this illustrated to me that the new India and its relationship with Australia is much more than the three C's, cricket, curry and Commonwealth, and really gave me a great insight into how global and how sophisticated the Indian economy had become. To talk more about the challenge of doing business in India, I'm joined by entrepreneur and community leader, Sonia Gandhi. Sonia is the founder and director of multicultural event agency Gandhi Creations and a member of the advisory board of Multicultural New South Wales. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you for having me on board, Tim. It is an absolute pleasure to be sitting in your company. Now, tell me about 
Gandhi Creations? Well, Gandhi Creations started off 10 years ago and uh, it is a a multi-award winning event management company that focuses on uh, cultural integration and we've done some major projects around uh, national significance in specifically for India and Australia. But the idea or the niche around the organisation is to integrate cultures, really. Because when we're talking uh, integrating into the Australian society, you're really integrating into the Italian, Chinese, Japanese, Indian, Brazilian, the whole lot. We've got it all. Exactly. So I think multicultural is mainstream, really. And tell me about your connection with India. The personal relationship that I have with India is, of course, I'm of Indian background. And um, I came to Australia 21 years ago. And, uh, when you one. Well, oh, that is very kind, Tim. I, I, yes, I... <laughs> seasonally adjusted, okay. <laughs> and um, came around 21 years ago, mind you, as an international student. Yes. Uh, and the, obviously the international educational sector has changed significantly in Australia as well to what it is now. So obviously faced the same challenges, started the company 10 years ago, and the connect with India and Australia, not just because I'm passionate about the bilateral relationship, but we also run a project called the India-Australia Business and Community Awards, which celebrates the Australia-India relationship because it's very important to highlight the success stories of Australians doing business in India, but it also brings out the challenges because the success stories, uh, you're there because you've faced all the challenges and gone through a lot. And um, I think where we are right now in terms of the economic transformation that India has had over the past few years uh, Australia has got a huge opportunity to have a piece of the pie. Now, we talk a lot about the three C's, cricket, curry and Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. But why is India the country for Australians to do business now? I think the economic transformation, particularly since the Modi government has been massive. So Modi we're talking mania. Modi mania. Yes, when he was here in, um, I think in 2014, the stadium, the, uh, the Sydney Olympic Park Stadium just massive. went huge. So we had over 10,000 people screaming when he came out. So I think rightly said Modi mania, but also GOI, which is Government of India, has got certain initiatives that have been set up, uh, which are very attractive. Uh, for example, you've got, uh, you know, the smart cities, which are building 100 smart cities uh, by 2025, which I think is a very positive start, but infrastructure is the main one. There is also uh, Startup India. That initiative is massive. So I would say looking at opportunities around investing in startups is a great way to do. Um, uh, I'm not sure if everyone's aware, but India is going to be the youngest country in the world by 2025 because 64% of our population is going to be under 30. Now, that's a massive opportunity to look into because we're talking urbanisation. We're talking millions of people sort of, you know, urban development again. And from an education perspective also, I think the GOI mandate around Skills India, which is educating 400 million people by 2022, is huge in the VET sector for Australians. There's also Digital India, which is a big program, and Made in India or Make in India. Yeah, yeah. So Make in India, you're spot on, Tim, uh, has got all these GOI initiatives that sit under it, which is Startup India, which is the uh, Skills India. and, and, And look, some of the initiatives are extremely tight in terms of timeframes. There's no way to achieve to train and skill 400 million people in, in 10 years. You know, it, it's, but it's going to happen and that's, they've set some really high standards for themselves. So I think from an innovation perspective, Digital India, technology is very, very big. Uh, investing in 
existing Indian startups, again, goes back to your Digital India piece, is is something that people should look at because you're not actually starting from scratch. You're actually investing in an existing technological slash digital portal uh, that you can trust. But I don't know if you heard recently, there is a new uh, consulate that's opened in Calcutta. Mm. So that's, you know, looking at the mining and resources. And purely that why, that was why the investment was made from an Australian High Commission perspective and to ensure that we can capitalise on the eastern seaboard opportunities from a mining and resources perspective. So that, again, is something to look at. I also think sports is very important. Sports diplomacy. Sports diplomacy and sports administration. I'll tell you why I say that. At the Commonwealth Games, we had the Minister for Sports from Gujarat attend one of the sessions and they had the, the one of the gentlemen from the Ministry for Sports uh, give a very basic example around how there is this huge awareness in schools now in India where sports is so important, you know, it's all about health and well-being and so forth. And that's obviously translating into the stadiums where people want to watch different sports and games. And I obviously hear that AFL is looking to go to India as well, which would be fabulous. So I think from that, what he said was sports management and administration is really lacking there. So for ex- a, a, a real basic example is there's no female toilets in stadiums. Wow. So Yeah, so that's something that is that is very simple, but it is massive if you think about it. And I'm, I, I've lived in India for 10 years. I mean, I, I grew up there. And to actually even think that, oh, my God, mm. how is that even possible? So there is a lot of work to be done even in those basic sort of sanitization um, and, you know, basic needs, I would say, from a sporting perspective. Um, but tourism is another one, I think, uh, tourism, arts and culture. Um, the India Tourism Office uh, recently closed in Australia, which was huge. And I don't see that as a negative at all. I think it's quite a positive and a very strategic move because – the business is there. Things are happening. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of Indians coming to Australia, I think. So if Australian companies capitalise on creating certain uh, packages that attract Indian investment and Indian tourists, I think there is a huge opportunity there as well to be looked at. Well, it's interesting because we know Cricket World, but the Essendon Football Club has a, an Indian employee mm-hmm. to, to push Aussie rules in India. Yep. And, uh, yep, yep. and, of course, with tourism and, and, and Bollywood... Our mutual friend Anu Sharma Absolutely, has his yes. Bollywood production company here in Australia. So in some ways there's so many great Indian Australian ambassadors they're almost doing the job for the tourism board. It's so true, um, Tim, and also because you've got to look at the – I always say when you're looking to invest in India, you've got to look at the diaspora here as well. We're nearly uh, one million now oh, of Indian heritage. Yeah, well. It's huge. Mm. So India now is the – uh, number one skilled migration uh, 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 sort of, you know, coming into Australia. And it's that's huge. So number one for skilled migration, number two for international students. So I always say you need to tap into who is around you from a diaspora perspective because virtually all of this significant rise in the diaspora has happened for the past 10 years. When I was in India uh, for the Airport Economist TV show, I interviewed... Ahmet Daskupta, mm-hmm, who's mm-hmm. the University of New South yes, Wales, yes. India country manager, former diplomat, distinguished Indian intellectual. Yep. And it's interesting, Ahmet Daskupta said that with the young population, as you say, um, they do need uh, technical and higher education. Mm-hmm. And the Indian institutions and universities that are very good, they still can't handle the volume of young Indians who will need further education. So it seems Australia can pick up a lot of that supply. Absolutely. And also, if we can think smart, it would be looking at 
post the courses and the education, the, the vocational educational training, what is it that we can do from to make the Indian youth employable? I think that's the other piece that is very, very critical there. But yes, uh, the Australian educational system is very well received in India. There is a lot of MOUs, as you're aware, that are being signed from an educational perspective, um, especially with uh, the smaller courses that are being offered by New South Wales TAFE and so forth as well. So a lot of opportunities there in the education sector. I recall doing a piece to camera by Mumbai Railway Station for the show, for the TV show, and a number of Indian students were stopping me and asking me what I was doing. Yeah. And then they kept saying to me, well, Australia, you've got to, you know, you've got to lift your game because there's a lot of competition from Canada and UK and USA. And I thought, well, they're they're right on the ball. Do you know, it's funny you say that because uh, we were at the um, Trade Ascent event at Commonwealth Games and uh, as much as India is welcoming and it's, it's fabulous and Australia is a great partner because of the similarities, also the similarities of the political system, I think there is a lot of countries doing the same with India. Of course, yeah. And uh, yeah. the... the, 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 the there is opportunities, but I think it's the patience and resilience that's very, very important. So it's keep, like, like you know, you've been to India so many times. It's keeping at it, you know, going back and creating partnerships and, and building relationships on an ongoing basis. Uh, so I think that that patience level uh, with, with India is extremely important. So if you're an Australian business, what's the best way to get your foot in the door? In India, Ooh, yes, it's a it's a very interesting question, <laughs> and look, it's not a bed of roses. It is, um, mm. it's pretty tough. I think um, doing your research, listening to podcasts like these, I think it's 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 critical to to understand the market, creating that uh, cultural awareness. Um, but most importantly, uh, like I said, the patience and resilience around going back to India and um, having a local partner is very important. So I always say to uh, to people that ask me that if your local partner has introduced you to their extended family, to their cousins, you've been invited to you're a in. wedding, you're in. You're pretty you're in. much Monsoon in. Monsoon wedding. But, you know, like there's a lot of organisations that act as vehicles that support in a significant way the Australia-India piece like the Australia-India Business Council, Australia-India Institute, Asia Link, the Export Council. And I know now that Australia has got a huge incentive for exporters to India, which is um, from a, uh, I think it's, it's three to five year perspective where they would actually give you the return on investment uh, and they would match it dollar to dollar to what you're investing. So I think that's something to look at as well uh, from an Austrade perspective. So you have the Australian High Commission in Delhi and the consular in in Mumbai and, and in... Uh, Mumbai and Chennai. And Chennai as well. And of course now in Calcutta. In Calcutta too. Uh, which is fabulous. So and the Austrade office in... In, in the High Commission, in absolutely, the Absolutely, and of course the Australia here. So there is a lot of uh, vehicles of support to really build and understand the market. But I think it's not easy to sort of suddenly decide, okay, I would like to do business with India because everyone wants to do business with India. It's also important to understand what I say is treat each state as a different country. So instead of saying, yes, I would like to export to India nationally, why wouldn't you? I think it's sort of baby steps around understanding a particular state um, and the cultural nuances are very different. The cultural um, way that Indians do business are very different state to state. So, you know, you get in your comfort zone when you're around Indians because they speak English. 
Right? Oh, it's easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so it's you easy. Think, you have a great yeah. command on English. Mm. You get in your comfort zone around Indians because they're so westernised. But you always have to keep at the back of your mind the traditional values, the religious um, and the cultural uh, days that are of significance to them and, and most importantly the hierarchical level. There is a huge class system in India and I noticed that significantly when I came to Australia mm. because when growing up you basically grew up with it. So, mm, you know, mm. you, you, I, when, I, when I came here, I lied to my parents for two years because I worked in a BP service station. Oh, they didn't so, want to know that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. My family would be devastated mm, that, you know, mm. coming from where we came, we would be working at a, at a retail shop. So I would think... Would Caltex be all right or was it just BP? <laughs> oh, so, any service station. All right, okay. okay. I think it would be any service station <laughs> okay. across the board. But, you know, I mean, and, and, and I think that's what I love about Australia. It's, it's, it's incredible because that doesn't exist. I mean, the only... Uh, issue you have around um, in Australia is, you know, which footy club you support, which I think is, is fabulous. So uh, going back to answer your question, best foot in the door would be patience and resilience and keep going back to India to understand the market rather than sort of go there once and say, okay, I think this is what we'll be doing. And you can use the Australian government resources. You can use the state governments of South Australia, Victoria, Queensland. They're all there, aren't they, in different Absolutely. states? Absolutely. And you make a very good point, Tim. Each, most of the state governments now have an, something called the MOUs. Yeah. With each of our states. So I think if you delve deeply into that, you will find that there's certain ministers that are heavily involved and invested in the relationship to be able to then help you further because they have a vested interest. So, what customs do we need to be aware of when we go to India, depending on this region, of course? I think I'll give you a simple example. So, if you are talking to a CEO level person in India, you need to be on that similar level. Yeah, and I know it sounds... Hierarchical. It's very hierarchical. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, you're Sonia. And then I'm thinking, what are you thinking right now in your head? That I'm petite, I, I, I look young. And, you know, there's a perception around seniority. Like if you're older, then you're wiser. Uh, so I think those sorts of things are very important to understand because... And again, I go back to that class system which we grow up with, you know, seniority, um, age, gender, um, use of titles is very important to people. So when you're doing business in India, if if there is a doctor or, you know, you need to address them as, you know, Dr. Harcourt or Dr. Singh or so right? that, that's yeah very very important and uh, again another simple thing is business cards we're very big into hard copy stuff mm. whereas obviously Australia does a lot of things soft copy you know to, to be environmentally friendly but India is, is and I think all of Asia when very we traditional. do very traditional mm. because when we do large um, uh, trade expos uh, in the events industry we notice that we get big brochures you know glossy brochures so I think it's important to to exchange those as well as along with business cards to make sure that the bigger it is, the better it is sort of thing. To um, Bit of collateral to impress them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Informal relationships are also critical. I think um, getting invited to someone's home is a big thing um, for a dinner rather than meeting somewhere else at a restaurant. So I think that's also a very positive um, uh, sign. Do, but you br- just, do you bring a gift? I did. Mm. Yeah, always. Yeah. yeah, you always. No, not today. I mean, like, like when you go to when you go to someone's house. No, no, you don't need <laughs> one today. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, that's funny. We always bring a gift. You yes, know, we yeah. always exchange something of um, importance to each other because it's it's um, it's critical to do that. And a lot of people say, "Oh, it's 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 not the modern India," you know. But it still is. And you know, sometimes I say the modern India 
that you receive might be at a very fast pace or a very slow pace. I don't know what you're going to get because mm-hmm. it's very different. Again, goes back to that state-based things. Also, understanding nonverbal clues is very important. Okay. We cannot say no. So we are okay. not taught to say no since yes. growing up, even in school. We go a, a roundabout way of you know, explaining something, but we will not say no. So I think understanding that in business meetings is, is absolutely critical. Um, obviously, getting invited to weddings. Oh my God, you're completely in. It's it's fabulous. The never-ending Indian weddings, which we absolutely love. Some of them go on for I a week. I went to a wedding on my first day in India ever before McCoy. Isn't it? Oh, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. So even with me, I mean, we had to do a big Indian wedding back home and then a, a, an Australian wedding here. So it's just it's just endless. But I think what I'm saying is that personal connection, the personal relationships mm. are, are, are very, very important. Use of former titles, like I said, and uh, ensuring that the hierarchical level is understood clearly by businesses is very, very important. I had dinner with the Tatar family once at the mm. Taj Mahal Hotel and uh, boy, that's a, that's a Pretty heavy duty family, but very absolutely very the the interesting where they sat and who you know the the senior mm. guy, guy would 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 address the premier. Yep, and the yep. rest almost took a hierarchy in conversation. Yep, as yep. well as seating. Yep, seating is also very critical. I mm. think where you sit, um, because if you are um, sitting at the head of the, head of the table, you'd, you'd you'd rather not. You'd rather get your partner or whoever you're looking to do business with to get mm. them to sit there. I think mm. those sorts of little things are, are, mm. are critical. But I do think that Australia and Indians understand each other really really mm. well, apart from those bits and pieces that we talked about. But but keeping in mind, religious and cultural values are also critical. I was going to ask you about that. Is there any no-go areas when you go out for business dinners or I meetings? think um, beef, eating, you know, yeah. obviously, mm. uh, you know, being conscious of that, but also keeping in mind there is a lot of um, – a religious and cultural day celebrated in India, so making sure steering clear of those, or making sure that you're a big part of them, you know, and 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 and, and speaking a few words in Hindi gets you places, you know, it, it it really helps because people instantly connect with you on the language, even though Indians are so Westernized, we sort of love it that you've you've spent the, the time, effort. yeah, time mm. and energy, and made the effort to understand. Uh, our culture and language better. You do this. The, the namaste is yeah, is like absolutely that. loved mm. and adored everywhere. Uh, I think that is something a great way to start hand, a business put, meeting. Put, put your hands together and like a, a little. Put your hands together, and that's also a yoga movement because it sort of centers your energy space. I mean, there's a whole theory around why you do the namaste, mm. um, and 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 understanding those you know cultural uh, aspects is very important. Fantastic, and what sort of challenges do Australians face when they do business in India, do you think? Is it bureaucratic? I mean, it used to be. Yeah, it's – look, these changes are happening Mm. um, and – Slowly but surely, uh, there there are challenges such as the tax system. I know GST has been introduced in India, but to be honest, GST is still being understood by just the locals. So Aussies are in a very good position because we have GST here and we understand what that means. Whereas, you know, in India, people are still grasping and understanding what the GST really means to them. Recruitment in India is very challenging. You know, even though you say there's you know, 64% of the population going to be under 30 by 2022. I mean, you still, it's hard to recruit people in India because there's no set um, skills per se. So when you're looking to expand and sort of build uh, something there which requires human resources, there's always a challenge. Um, Of course, the non-transparent and unpredictable regulatory tariffs that regimes that are, you know, part of the export. By, By state or federal? 
Uh, federal. 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 And yeah. those are, again, a, a, ma- a massive challenge. Again, organisations like Export Council of Australia, who we work with very closely, are good to sort of get support from. Construction permits are a major, major issue. Yes. Um, and land acquisition. Land acquisition. Okay. That's a big one too. They want to build a freeway or something. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking sort of, you know, uh, Again, going back to that infrastructure, smart cities, the, that's where you come into that, you know, land acquisition Of course, India is the world's largest democracy, so they have processes with land acquisition, don't they? Absolutely, the absolutely. Yeah. So, look, look, there's a lot of changes coming through, but it won't happen overnight, but they are happening under the Modi government and we're very, very positive. But I also think Australia needs to diversify, I think, because, you know, when 40% of your exports are from China and Japan, throwing mm. India in the mix is certainly mm. a huge win-win for mm. all. And even with uh, when you think about infrastructure, there's those great second-tier cities of China that are, you know, 33 million and so on. But in India, you've now got mm. these smart cities and they need roads and railways and, Absolute and civic and ports, buildings. Yeah, and ports. To, to increase the trade. But I think um, there was a recent, a few months ago, there was a conversation from an Indian official that, that, that said that we should look at doing business only in five to six states, you know, that are booming. I quite think the opposite because looking at states that are sort of starting off and have just split because there's, there's been a few splits recently within the states in India is the way to go because that's, you know, that the, the people are still learning there and they're sort of growing at a fast pace. So I think that you, you can capitalise on a lot more than five or six states in India with 30-plus states. What's the most exciting development you think you've seen in India compared to 20 years ago, you know, when you first came to Australia? I think that uh, economic transformation around the Make in India piece, that campaign has been so significant, not just for Australia, internationally in uh, securing foreign investment um, uh, across the board, globally, but also the initiatives that sit under Make in India, which is the Government of India, GOI initiatives, uh, all of the ones that we have been talking about, Tim, which is Smart City, Skills India, Digital India, all of that. I think that has been a huge transformation in building and further developing foreign investment to India, which hadn't happened. Well, when I came 21 years ago, there was no Make in India. So I think that's been a huge win-win uh, for uh, for India, but also making India, like in Australia, has had a huge uh, drive through the consulates, through the High Commission here based out of Canberra. So I think making sure that that uh, journey, that story is told and Australians come on that journey is very, very important. And what uh, last tips would you give an Australian business thinking about India? I think... Um, patience and resilience. It's not easy to build those relationships in India, but it's very, very important that you're on ground and keep going back to ensure that Indian businesses understand that you're serious about the investment because as much as they are open with welcoming arms to welcome Australians to do business there, they also have other opportunities lined up. So I would say uh, be in their faces and make sure that you show that you're serious by being on ground. Now, you're an Australia Day ambassador, and it just so happens that January 26 is also yes. Republic Day in, in yeah. India. Yeah. So you're a very unique person in this regard. So how does, how does sort of Australia feel to you and how does India feel to you now? It's exceptional. Like, honestly, I'm so glad you brought this up because at Australia Day, I was, I was nearly teary because I got my citizenship certificate from uh, the, the Lord Mayor, of course, from one of the councils, and I was handing out citizenship certificates and I felt truly Australian but also truly Indian because in my speech I talked about how I left my home country but how I integrated into the Australian society but I did not 
leave my roots behind. So it's so important to integrate into a new culture, but also create a healthy awareness of your culture with others and sharing that rich diversity that India has on offer. I couldn't think of a better ambassador. Sonia Gandhi, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Tim, for the opportunity. Well, that's it for this edition of The Airport Economist. I hope you enjoyed listening and picked up a few useful tips along the way. The Airport Economist podcast series is produced by Liv Proud, audio production by Darcy Thompson, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. The Airport Economist is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the app, or look us up on iTunes. And don't forget, there is also the Airport Economist TV series and book of the same name. You can find out more at our website, theairporteconomist.com, before you take off. Well, thanks for joining me. I look forward to our next business adventure together somewhere in the big wide world. I'm Tim Harcourt, and I'm the Airport Economist.